Let's talk to Alan Menon, Director of UK and Changing Europe, and one of the many people who on social media also offered his services to run the country uh, for a temporary period. Alan, a very good morning to you. Welcome. How are you? I'm very well, mate. I'm pretty sure you'd do a better job than Jeremy Corbyn, to be honest. <laughs> Well, I don't know, but it just seemed like a good idea. I mean, everyone else is bringing their well, so I, I mean, not? what about the... I mean, we've talked a lot, you and I, about the arrogance of, of uh, the political class these days. But, I mean, so arrogant to just talk about wandering into Downing Street as if it's just another job. You know, like, I can run the steering committee of the, uh, the Labour Party for a while. It's not quite the same, is it? No, it's not. But then again, you've got to remember that that's how our system works. Our system works on the basis that Parliament has confidence in a government, and that's why the government gets to be a government. Uh, and if, and it's a very big if, Parliament decides it no longer has confidence in this government, then it's perfectly fine if they can get confidence in another one for another government. There's nothing untoward about this. What is interesting about it is the way in which narrow party interest is triumphing over everything else, it seems, at the moment. Yeah, but at the moment as well, I mean, you've got people tweeting me things like this. This is what Dave says. It's really quite amazing. It shows the truth in the phrase, democracy is fragile. This country is almost like some kind of unstable third world government with people openly conspiring to seize power. I mean, you wouldn't be surprised, for example, uh, if Ed Davies suddenly started uh, trundling up uh, Whitehall in, in a tank, you know, with a, with, a, you know, with a beret on. I mean, it is really unusual, but one of the reasons is that lots of very odd things are going on at the same time. Yeah. So we had a referendum, which is odd in itself, because the referendums don't sit easily with parliamentary democracy. And on top of that, you've got a parliament where the, the party in power doesn't have a majority. So it's a recipe for instability. And actually, what's happening is simply a reflection of that. I don't think, I don't think this, any of what's being discussed is a betrayal of democracy because it's simply the way our system works. I do think, however, it's going to be very, very difficult for any government to command the support of the House for very long. The very biggest problem we've got, though, surely, Anand, is that it wouldn't appear to be a betrayal of democracy if everything that has happened before hadn't happened. But the fact that we've had three years of what I would regard as filibustering, of blocking, um, of sort of double jeopardy, if you like, you know, it, it's very clear that there are people in the Houses of Parliament, regardless of what they say, and I know they deny it, uh, who do not want to leave the European Union and are hoping that if they put it off and make it complicated enough, it'll just never happen. Well, look, there are absolutely those in the House of Commons that want to stop Brexit. I mean, I take issue with you on one very, very important point, which is, for all the delaying there has been, what Parliament did do was vote to trigger Article 50. So in that sense, they voted to implement the outcome of the referendum. The problem has been it's proven impossible to come up with a deal with the EU that Parliament will support. There's the problem. So it's not, it's, not, it's not as simple as Parliament is saying no to Brexit. Parliament is saying no to the sort of Brexit that the Prime Minister came back with, and that has put us in this bind. Uh, yes, that is entirely correct. However, what about this for a, a bit of a breaking news story, which is not in fact breaking news because it happened a couple of days ago, but this one slipped under the radar, and I certainly didn't spot it, but Bloomberg put a thing out today saying, what about Tom Tugendhat's tweet? I don't know if you saw this, where he's basically yeah, floating the idea... Uh, of Boris Johnson taking us out of the European Union before August the 24th in a big sort of well, surprise. Well, yeah, there was Tom's tweet, which I think was on Sunday... I can't remember. It was a I think, you know, it was, it was a couple of nights ago, yeah. So and, that was uh, Friday, Wednesday, maybe. And I think a day or two ago, there was an education minister on the Today programme who said roughly the same thing. He said, we're going to leave on October the 31st or before. I think what both those people are missing is the fact that ultimately the date when our membership of the European Union ends 
isn't down to us, it's down to EU law. And in EU law at the moment, that date is the 31st of October. We can't unilaterally change it. That will be up to the European Union to decide. Yeah, but we could be in very, in, engaging conversations with the European Union uh, to, to, to do precisely that, because they might be giving us permission, uh, but you and I just don't know about it yet. We could, absolutely. But what I would say is I'd sound a note of caution about this, if only because businesses and governments in the European Union have already prepared twice for a no-deal Brexit. They did it at the end of March, they did it again for mid-April. And now they're all working towards the deadline of the 31st of October. I would be very, very surprised if European governments were willing to disrupt the planning of their own businesses by saying, actually, we've changed our minds, we're doing it a few weeks earlier. I think I think they are preparing for a no-deal on the 31st of October and they're willing to deal with that. I cannot see them shifting the date simply because of the hassle it will cause to businesses in their countries. Well, this is apparently the problem, isn't it? Because as time ticks down and time ticks away, and we all remember Donald Tusk's uh, uh, famous words, you know, don't waste time. You know, there's an awful lot going on in Downing Street, but I'm not sure there's an awful lot going on with regards to Brexit. I think Boris is having a great honeymoon period. I think he's doing an awful lot more than Theresa May did in the three years she was uh, in charge. But, um, you know, I don't see us moving towards anything, anything Thing that looks like a different agreement do you no i don't i mean i take issue slightly with what you just said i think uh boris johnson has said a lot since he became prime minister nothing that not not that much has actually been done and if you remember you think back to july 2016 when theresa may made a rather good speech when she became prime minister about the sorts of things she was going to do as prime minister that was all well and good the problem is she didn't actually do any of it which kind of takes us back to where we started doesn't it which is it's very hard for a prime minister to do anything at the moment because there is no majority in parliament so that's the fundamental problem that boris johnson faces on the one hand yes he's laying out an agenda that many people find quite appealing on the other hand you're absolutely right not much at all is happening on brexit because he said he won't negotiate with the eu unless they scrap the backstop and they've said they won't so right. there's little in the way of negotiation going on so we're sort of stalled a little bit at the moment and we're going to have to sort of wait Remember, we've only had one day of watching this parliament interact with this prime minister. And it was great, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think it's only <laughs> going to be in the start of September when they come back that we're going to get a sense of where this is going to go. Sure. And what about the no deal scenario? What, where, where are you on that? Because if it does happen, and, and many people believe that that is the only way uh, that we can now leave the European Union on that particular date, what does happen for you on November the 1st? Well, you've got to divide it into several stages. And if I can give you a plug, we're putting out a report on this on the 4th of September. Okay. Uh, We'd better book but, you in for that day then. <laughs> absolutely. But I, I think several things. I think on the first day, it might well be that not that much happened, simply because if you're a trader, you will already have penciled it into your diary. Don't stick loads of lorries due to go through <laughs> the Calais on the 1st of November because right. there might be issues. I mean, it's a public holiday in France. Well, I've called for it to be a public holiday here as well. Yep, absolutely. So, I don't think I don't think the key to how to the impact of No Deal is going to be is going to be obvious on the first of November or even in the first week. Over time, there will be significant disruption. If you think about certain industries that rely on loads and loads of goods, I think Honda get two million components a, a day or a week. I can't remember exactly from the European continent. 
if, as the European Union has said, there are going to be checks at the borders, those kind of businesses are going to be very, very badly disrupted indeed. Yes, it's going to be a fascinating time. Um, also, of course, um, and the, the thing that, uh, that we're hopeful will happen uh, is that the, the sort of the smooth transition of everything will be negotiable sort of one day at a time almost, and it will be, um, it, will, it, will all, it will all sort of come out in the wash, if you like. I don't see uh, anything in particular uh, or any reason why anybody would wish to make that more difficult than it is. No, but I think we've got better, well, what, what you say is absolutely right. And I think it's, this is the key thing about no deal. No deal isn't an event, it's a process that will unfold over time. Now, what the European Union have said to date is, look, you leave with the, the European Union with no deal, that's totally up to you. But if you want to talk about trade and sorting out these manufacturing industries with us, the first thing we're going to say to you is, we are not going to do this until you've discussed the things that were in the withdrawal agreement. Citizens' rights, the Irish border, and the Brexit bill. So there will initially, at least, be rather a, a sort of painful standoff between the two sides while nothing is getting resolved. And any chance at all, do you think, of Corbyn entering Downing Street as a caretaker Prime Minister? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the fascinating things about British politics at the moment is it, it's foolhardy to write anything off. And you can easily see circumstances in which a short-term government of national unity is created by people desperate to stop no deal. I don't think that's what's going to happen in September. My suspicion is that there is too much politics in the way. Each party is suspicious of the other party. And I think the first tactic that MPs will try and deploy to stop a no deal is legislative. They will try and force the government to ask for a delay to the Brexit deadline before they get anywhere near trying to put in place a, a short-term caretaker government. Okay. Alan, thank you very much indeed. We look forward to your report in the early part of September. He's Director of UK and Changing Europe. Very sensible man, very reasonable man. The sort of people we like here at the Independent Republican, Mike Graham.